don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you uh, make a comment to someone and the response that you get is disproportionate to what you said. You could picture, maybe it's a, to a friend or a coworker, maybe a spouse, you could picture hypothetically a situation where you go to the fridge and you say, oh, are, are we out of milk? And the response is, why, what, is it my job to make milk? Do I look like a cow? Why are you always asking about milk? Whoa. What happened here? Um, I, I actually had a situation like that this week. I was not on the receiving end. I was on the giving end of a conversation about driving a child to a tryout. And I said, I'm, I'll drive the child. And, and it had nothing to do, my, my reaction had nothing to do with um, getting, getting a, a child to the tryouts. It was, had everything to do with everything else that happened that day. And, um, Anyway, you may have had one of these experiences. I mean, not in my marriage, not in yours, but, you know, you could picture this kind of thing happening. Um, Here, Jesus is a dinner guest, and the host of the dinner party notices that Jesus doesn't do the ceremonial washing. These are all religious leaders, and they do this religious washing. It was not something that was commanded in the Bible, but it was something that was um, a tradition that they added on just to be uh, a purity kind of a thing. You know, not worried that his hands were actually dirty, but that he didn't do this religious ceremony. And the text doesn't say that the host rebuked Jesus for not washing. It doesn't even say that he called him out publicly in any way. There's sort of this implicit criticism that Jesus wasn't participating in the tradition. And Jesus just goes off on these people. Um, this rebuke, woe to you, woe to you, everybody in the room. And even one of the guests speaks up and says, hey, in verse 45, says, hey, um, you know, you're kind of insulting us here. And he's like, well, for you, woe is you. And he just goes right after that guy. This is um, not what we'd expect for Jesus as a dinner guest. I mean, socially, this is very unacceptable um, in, G- in our day, but in Jesus's day, to rebuke your hosts in such a way um, you know, we think of Jesus, we think of his sacrifice on the cross. We think of his gentleness, his kindness, his acceptance of people. Uh, but Jesus was very stern and very severe at times. And now Jesus is not just being emotional or irrational like I am if I were to at any time have a uh, reaction. Um, what, at st- what was at stake here for Jesus, and really for us, was huge. Uh, these people who he was with were misusing their Bible. They were misusing the scriptures in ways that were not helping people, and it was actually leading people astray. And whenever people were led astray, Jesus used very strong language. There was one account where Jesus was talking about children, and he said, if you, if you lead a little child astray and you cause a child to sin, you'd be better off if you tie a millstone around your neck and you're hurled into the depth of the sea. That's a terrifying image. There's a millstone. There's a family that has a millstone in the yard on Central Street. You drive by it, it's like, it's a, millstone is huge. And you go in the depth of the sea, that's going to torpedo you to the bottom. It's just a very, and then anyway, and Jesus understands science of that and what that would happen, you know. Anyway, the, the harsh words are because the stakes are very high. Now, so what do we do with this? We, we're, we're finishing a series this week, for those of you who are joining us just this week. We're finishing a series called, I Love the Bible. Why do I love my Bible so much? And why is it such a big deal? Why do we spend so much time preaching and gathering in small groups to learn the Bible? What, uh, we, we, 
we're, we've talked about how through God's word we can understand his salvation. We've talked about how his word transforms us to propel us into our everyday lives. We've talked about how as we meditate on God's word, it plants us like a tree next to a stream of water and that we can be fruitful even in the, the heat and in the dry times. And here, we're going to be talking about the uh, bad uses of the Bible. Because there's ways that you can use it that are beautiful, but there's ways that you can use it that, that are bad and downright evil. Even Satan himself used the Bible. From the very beginning, Satan is using God's word and kind of twisting it for his own deceitful purposes. So we know deep down that we could get this wrong, and we don't want to get it wrong. And in this passage, the way that these people were misusing the Bible is the same way that we could easily misuse it in our lives, uh, both personally and how we uh, show it to other people in our world. So we don't want to go down that path. We want to know all the blessings of, uh, of God's word in the Bible. So, um, so let's pray as we explore this this morning. Yet, Father, that is our heart, to know your word to handle it rightly, to, um, to live our lives, to, to give you the glory, Lord. So we pray that during this time that you would be our teacher, that we would know the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place, and that you would guide us to give us hearts of faith. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is bad uses of the Bible in two parts. This is bad use of the Bible, Pharisee edition, and then bad use of the Bible, lawyer edition. And so uh, part one here, verse 42. This is printed on the back of your bulletin. If you want to follow along, Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint and rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So Jesus is pointing out to them that they were tithing, which is uh, the word we use to describe giving a tenth of what they had. And in the Old Testament law, God's people were commanded to give a tenth of their income, of their crops, of, of all that they had, and they would give it back to the work of the Lord. They would bring it to the temple. And Many people even today, we're not bound by the Old Testament law in the same way, but many people still tithe. They give a tenth of all that they have uh, to back to the work of the church or to other Christian ministries to support the work that God's doing and sharing their resources. And tithing was important. In the Old Testament, there was a time in history where God's people weren't, they weren't tithing Fully, They weren't really giving a tenth of all they had. My small group has been studying the book of Malachi. At the time of the prophet Malachi, the people were supposed to bring uh, sacrifices and their tithes to the temple, but they weren't. And they were supposed to bring unblemished animals to be sacrificed, but they were bringing gimpy animals and sick animals. So you're supposed to bring a perfect sheep to sacrifice, but they'd bring one with an eye missing, or it's got three legs, or they, they, they would bring, you know... Gimpy the goat was going to die anyway, so maybe I'll just bring it because they're going to kill it. What's the point? You know, it was just this half-hearted kind of worship. So this, there, there was an importance of bringing their best to the Lord, but these Pharisees were so meticulous in their donations that even their herbs, they were, they were giving a tenth. And if you've ever grown herbs, you know you don't harvest the whole plant. You just take a little bit off it. 
So you can almost picture that, you know, plucking off, you know, six sprigs of rosemary, seven, eight, nine, oh, and then one for God, and then nine, just taking little bits of dill and of, and of rue, and, and, you know, what is rue anyway? I had to look that up. Rue, we don't even use rue. If you use too much rue, you'll get sick. It's very bitter, but you use it as a spice, so you're making your spaghetti sauce, and you put a little bit of rue, but you've got to save a little for God, and they would show up to the temple with a little baggie. They didn't have baggies either, but what a, you know, the little baggie of rue, and your cumin, and your dill, and just, oh, hey, I, tie, I, gave, I did the law perfect. And Jesus is saying, Seriously? Seriously? With all of the poverty and all the injustice in the world, you're going to bring your little flakes of your herbs in and you're focused on that and you're not out there helping the poor? What are you doing? You're missing the point. Now, Jesus doesn't say you, should, you shouldn't give a tenth of what you have. He said, actually, you should do that without ignoring these more important things. You're getting hung up on this tiny little detail of the law. And, and, and the Bible doesn't give specific instructions about how you're supposed to harvest your... It's not like you have a huge bundle of wheat. It's, those little, it's your herbs. It's your little flakes. But he says, you know, you've got to pay attention to these things, which are really more important. And in the Bible, not all the law is, has the same importance. Therefore, breaking the law, not every sin is the same, has the same consequences. Now, in a sense, all sin is the same, that it separates us from God, it pollutes us, it causes us to fall short of God's standard. Um, and it, so the, but, there's, but the law is not all the same, and not all sin is the same in terms of its consequences. There are weightier matters of the law, things like administering justice and, and helping those in need. The Bible speaks a lot about those things, and it speaks very little about how to handle your herbs. But the Bible talks a lot about caring for widows and orphans and migrants and those who are facing injustice. And Jesus is saying, look, you've got to pick your battles here. You, know, you look good. You look like you're following the law very meticulously. But verse 39, he says, you know, the Lord said to them, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now for what is inside you, be generous to the poor. Everything will be clean for you. You know, you're, you look like, you're on the outside, it looks like you're doing everything right, but your heart is not there. Your heart is full of greed and wickedness. Be generous to the poor. And then it's, that comes from the inside. It's your heart towards people in need. That's more important than, you know, bringing your, your herbs in. You know... And as we think about, as we read the Bible, and as we see God's heart for the poor and the oppressed, and for widows and for, and for children and orphans, um, it's not an optional add-on. It's not like, you know, our group, we study the Bible, and some of us help poor people. Like, this whole notion of, 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 of serving the poor and being generous is not an optional add-on. If you say, you know, I study the Bible deeply, but I don't care for the poor. Like, what Bible are you studying? We're, again and again, we see God's heart and God, our, our call as God's people to, uh, to, to care for those in need. 
it's just a wrong idea of cleanness before God, that we don't become clean before God by, we don't become righteous before God by strictly following rules. We are righteous because of faith, because we are trusting God. But a lot of people, they, you know, we have our Bible, they think that the Bible is just a rule book, and they'll say, uh, that's a great rule book for you, I don't need it. I can live a good life, I can do good things without your Bible. Um, I can make my own rules. But the following the rules don't make us clean. God's law, following God's law doesn't make me clean. It shows me that I'm not clean. The law of God shows me that I am a sinner who falls short of God's glory. Romans chapter 3 says, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. No one is made righteous by following rules. Well, then what's the point? It says that there's a righteousness from God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, Romans 3 says, it's through the law that we become conscious of sin. As I try to obey God's way, I realize, wow, I'm falling short of this thing. And I need his grace. I need a savior. And the Bible points us to Jesus and his salvation and his grace. How do we get it? Jesus came, and he perfectly obeyed the law, and then he goes to the cross to take the punishment for our falling short, all of the ways that we have not been generous, all the ways that we have not gone God's way. And by his grace, he forgives us. And that propels us to live for him and to trust him. But here we have, uh, you know, the Pharisees, they're the best at following the rules, but it didn't change their hearts. It didn't make them truly righteous. It actually just made them self-righteous and proud. We see this uh, in verse 43. It says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. You know, this is the trap here. If, if, if you get really good at following all the religious rules, you know, people are going to look up to you. And then you're going to sit in prominent seat. People are going to be nice to you in the marketplace. It's going to give you status with other people. That's not the point of this. The point of God's commands is that we can trust him and, and follow him, not that we can be self-righteous and show other people how good we are. God cares much more about the heart. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. I could, I could give everything away, even including my life, and if my heart is not for God, if I don't have a heart of love that's motivated by God's love, nothing. It's worthless. But this is what they were doing. This is why Jesus got so upset with them. And he tells them in verse 44, he says, Woe to you, because you're like unmarked graves, which people walk out without even knowing it. He said, you think you're doing the right thing, setting an example. You're driving people away from God through this you know, strict rule following. He said, you're like an unmarked grave. What does he mean? Jesus is using a very strict rule to show them because they knew the rules, to show them what they were doing. If you, in the Old Testament law, if you touched a, a dead body or if you touched a grave or walked on a grave, you were unclean, ceremonially unclean. And you had to do certain things to purify yourself. Um, certain cleansing or waiting a certain amount of time, and then you could fully participate in the worship of God's people. And he said, look, you're, but if you step on a grave... Even if you don't know it's a grave, it's going to make you unclean. 
And what he's saying to them is, you're like that grave that people are, are walking on it and it's making them unclean. It's driving them away from me. They don't, you don't even know it. You think you're doing the right thing. Um, but at the end of the day, they weren't drawing people closer to God. They were, they were, all of this following the rules thing is just a way to manipulate God. Their whole thought was that if they just lived a certain way and all the nation lived a certain way, that God would bless them. Okay, if I'm obedient to God's rules, then, I'll, then God will be happy with me and he'll bless me. But that's not how our faith works. Our faith is that God has blessed you already. He's given you life. He's made you in his image and in his likeness. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. He's given you everything. So whatever you face in this life, whatever blessings you experience or whatever suffering you experience, that nothing can separate you from his love as you put your faith in him. So we're obedient to him because he's poured out his love. He's blessed us not to gain those things. That's just manipulating God. I worship him and I obey him because he has loved me, not to earn his love. And they, so they totally missed the point here. So that's the Pharisees. Now the lawyers. Bad use of the Bible, lawyer edition. Now, these experts in the law, or the scribes of the law, they're sometimes called. Now, I love lawyers. Some of you are lawyers. I love you. And what lawyers are good at is picking apart law. So sometimes there's the spirit of the law, but then there's the actual words and what was said and what's in the contract and really picking that apart. And and, uh, lawyers are good with that, and we need that um, at times. But... So we have this lawyer who says, Jesus, you know, you're kind of offending us and you're insulting us. And Jesus said, oh, I've got, I've got some stuff for you too. Verse 46, Jesus replies, you experts in the law, woe to you because you load down people with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. These lawyers had taken God's law and were so legalistic about it, it was almost impossible to follow it correctly or rightly. And at a certain point, you can't even remember, there's all these rules to companion the rules um, that you just forget what you're doing. You know, there, was the, there was God's law, but they added all these extra laws so you wouldn't even accidentally break the law. So, for example, um, if, if God's law was you can't go to New Hampshire, then you'd say, the, the Pharisees would say, well, then it's against the law to go to Methuen because then you might accidentally end up in New Hampshire. Or it's against the law to be in, in uh, any border town. Because, because then what if you accidentally break the law? It's, it's just, it, the, the, there was just a law to keep you from breaking the law, to keep you from breaking the law. It was just, it was just too much. And, and I, I think for us, some of us were raised in traditions you know, where faith was just this rules that didn't make any sense. Why are we doing this? Why are we standing? Why are we eating certain foods on certain days? I don't get it. But it was just prescribed rules, and in, in doing that, you can miss the point. That's what these lawyers are doing here. And the worst of it is, the, and we see in verse 47 to 51, that's sort of the harshest of these woes. It's the longest of them. Basically, what he's saying is God sent messengers. He sent apostles and, and prophets. And you people, you're saying you're honoring them, but your ancestors killed those people, and you're just like them. You're associating yourself with those who have rejected God's message. And you should, and, and ultimately, these are the same law experts that are going to use the law to convict Jesus. 
to condemn him guilty of their law. And he would then be sentenced to be crucified, killed on a cross. These people, they are, they are guilty of, of, of the very same thing. And this is so detrimental because, again, they're leading people astray. Verse 52. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. There was a key. They had the key. They had all of the scriptures. They had all the prophets. They had all the law. All of it points to our need for a Savior. All of it is a promised coming one, the chosen one of God, the Messiah. It's all pointing to Jesus. They have the key right there, and they just drilled down into the words and into the law, and they turned the Bible into these riddles, that, these puzzles that only they could interpret because they were so smart. And the Bible just became so confusing, they missed Jesus. It was such a burden to the people. People couldn't enter into that. I, we could easily do this. And we, we love the Bible. Again, we, I love the Bible. We study it, we dig into it, but we can miss the main message when we drill too, too far. We get into debates about fine points of theology and we miss the greater part. We need to bring it back to Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross for us. And when Jesus brought that message of his kingdom to the world, it was very appealing to people who weren't the educated lawyers and the religious leader Pharisees. They were the outcasts. They were tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. This was a very appealing message to them. Because when you just start following all the rules and you're living your perfect life, that's not appealing. Because the world sees that and says, wow, you're a really good person. You're very moral. You're very religious. I can never be part of your club. Because that's not me. I'm a sinner. I'm not careful with my words. I'm not generous. I am, I am not good like you. I'm sorry. Self-righteous people aren't attractive to people who aren't self-righteous. And Jesus comes and says, look, none of us is righteous. But you're going to turn from your sin and enter into this kingdom of God's grace. You know, we can err on the other side of this too. You, know, you could be so religious and rule following. On the other side, you could just be so just, hey, we're all good. Nobody's got any problems. Nobody's a sinner in this room. That's also an error. And Jesus made it clear. You know, he is calling people to repentance, to turn from their sin. But not in strict obedience, but in receiving his grace. Jesus says, you're sick in your sin and I have an antidote. And it's free, just trust me. So there's your bad use of the Bible. Just kind of rule following to make yourself look good and to make people like you or just such a, a rigid faith that makes it impossible for people to come to it. And what do we do with this? First of all, if... If you've ever felt like, you know what, faith in Jesus is just rules, it's just, you know, I feel guilty, I haven't done my duty, I haven't been to church, I haven't been generous, receive God's grace today. Know that it is completely free, that every one of us has fallen short. Release your guilt. Don't be motivated by guilt. Be motivated by the love of Jesus who gave his life for you. And we're going to pray in a moment for you to do that. Secondly, we're going we're gonna, to, as we finish this series, we are committed to moving forward as a church to be people of God's word. That we are going to be people who meditate on God's word. We are going to be people who gather in groups to study God's word. We are going to gather here on Sundays and God's word will be central to our worship. Because we are committed to that and it's going to propel us 
to trust God more, to know his heart. Again, not to just do better, but to have our hearts transformed so that we can genuinely be better. And we're going to serve the poor. We're going to serve widows. We're going to serve children, orphans. We're going to be, we're going to, we're not going to neglect the greater uh, call to be a blessing to our world as we serve those who need it the most. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. And I pray if there's anyone here, uh, they just might, who's never experienced your grace, Lord, that they might just pray, Lord, I, I again, I, I turn to you, Lord, and I, I receive your grace. I turn from my sin. I fall short of your standard. But I thank you for Jesus, who, who by his sacrifice on the cross, gives me his grace. I receive it by faith. I trust you, Lord. Forgive me. Cleanse me on the inside that I might truly live for you. And as a church, Father God, we together once again claim your grace. We once again this morning recommit ourselves to your grace. That we will never earn your favor simply by following rules, but that, we, that you've poured out your favor freely. That we can truly live obedient and good lives for you because you've freed us from our sin. You freed us from our guilt. And we praise you for that, Lord. Be glorified in us. And above all else, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who gave it all for us. We pray all these things in his holy name. Amen.